You are listening to a very special episode of The Critical Path on 5 by 5 I'm Moises Chuyan, co-host, the one and only Mr. Horace Dedu. This special episode will both be available as The Critical Path episode number 95 and 5 by 5 special number 21. So you can find show notes either at 5x5.tv slash criticalpath slash 95 or 5x5.tv slash specials slash 21. The occasion for this special episode is the acquisition of Nokia by Microsoft. Before we get into what will certainly be a memorable episode, I wanted to thank our bandwidth sponsor for September, Joyent, the only cloud service that's purpose-built to power today's real-time web and mobile applications. Joyent offers the most cost-effective public and hybrid cloud solutions available today. Here at 5x5, we host all of our web and app servers in the Joyent cloud, so we highly recommend that you check them out and sign up for a free trial over at Joyent.com. This week's show is also brought to you by Hover.com, Shopify.com, and Shutterstock. Hover.com offers simplified domain management. You've probably registered a domain with a company that just wants to sell you services you're not interested in, when all you want is the simple .com, .co, or .tv, or .whatever you came there looking for. Hover makes the process easy for you. You just type in a few keywords, and Hover will figure out some available domains using those terms for you, like magic. They have real human beings available for support, and the number's right on the front page of their website. If you have any problems, just pick up the phone and call. Use the code DANSENTME or visit Hover.com slash DANSENTME, and you'll get 10% off everything you buy from Hover.com. You'll hear more about Shutterstock and Shopify as the show continues. Horace, it's going to be a big show. Vis-a-vis Nokia is something that people like to term as, uh, I guess, the catchphrase of this show. Uh, right. And uh, your your history with Nokia and uh, their time as a as a giant in the mobile space is something that informs uh, a great deal of what we discuss on this show. True. Uh, so I uh, <laughs> at uh, something like two in the morning uh, U.S. Central Time, I uh, sent you an email and I said, you know, I, I know we've already got an episode out this week, but I don't think it's going to be too crazy to try to convince you to uh, to do one about this. Uh, so wh- where do you want to start? Well, I think, um, well, let me tell you what happened that day, because I also I had, um, um, it, it, it happened sometime during while I was asleep, um, and I didn't even hear about it till uh, I was driving my son to school, and my wife, who was taking the train, um, texted me, um, or no, she called, actually. And I was like uh, on the speakerphone in the car. I was like, what, what? And she said, uh, did you see the news? And I said, no, what news? And she said, well, Microsoft bought Nokia. And I was like, oh, okay, both hands on the wheel. Um, but I, I, you know, I had to wait about 40 minutes before I got home to read up about it. Uh, and um, and then the phone started ringing. So I had that morning, I had four interviews Um even before I had a chance to read the, the press release, um, well, I, I, I was reading it while I was on the phone with, with, with uh, I had the National Public Radio, I had Wall Street Journal, I had, I had um, several Finnish uh, uh, companies who, uh, who, who do the news here. So um, the thing is that, firstly, it came as 
a shock, but it wasn't exactly a surprise. In other words, it was, you know, everybody expects something and then forgets about it because it hasn't happened. And then, and then it does happen. Um, the, the, the thing, the thing to, to understand is, and they did give a narrative about how the deal happened. Um, and many will read into this as saying that it was, that was a plan all along. I think it kind of was one of the plans. I think they had many plans. I think they had, um, they were, they were waiting to see what would happen. Um, if Nokia would have taken off with Lumia and the ecosystem would have been thriving, and if there were dozens other of other OEMs, then Microsoft could have held to their strategy. Um, and as famously Steve Ballmer said, that he likes their strategy, likes it a lot. And that would have been as a software licensor. Um it didn't work out. It didn't work out the way they had hoped in sort of plan A. And there must have been a plan B and a plan C. The plan B may even have been uh, something other than an acquisition. Uh, maybe would have been something along the lines of, um, an, uh, you know, sort of more payments. Uh, because they had been paying um, about a billion dollars a year in, in so-called support payments. Although... That's a bit soft money. Some of that money supposedly is a um, so. So the way it's phrased in their documents is that, that um, Microsoft would pay Nokia, but Nokia owed Microsoft the licensing for the phones. And the the way they they phrase it is that they expected those two things to balance each other out over the over the t- life of this of this um, agreement, which I believe was going to end. Uh, this year, so uh, it it looked like actually definitely that Microsoft paid a lot more than they got back in uh, in in licensing revenue from from Nokia. So it it, it is essentially it was a subsidy for for the company, but they could have done they could have done a lot more subsidization. They could have subsidized marketing. They should have they could have subsidized. Uh, even even uh, to the point of of the hardware itself um, could have been made uh, and sold cheaper, but they didn't do that. They, so what they went with is the they pulled the trigger on the acquisition, and they and the claim is that they began discussing this in February. Um, although again, they must have had somehow this this. Um, this plan all along in a way that that wasn't concrete, but it was it would have been a contingency, let's say. So I think that that February through and you know today is about the right the right time frame for such an acquisition. Uh, meaning, how many months are we looking at? About six months um, to do due diligence to have lots of people. Um, look at the books, look what's going on, see what the value should be. And of course, they, they also described how they had many, many different variants of the deal with, with whether they include bits and pieces of Nokia or not. And, and, and so that's very typical. The mechanics of such a deal are very typically in the six-month range, which is why 
it was so surprising that the Motorola acquisition by Google took five weeks. And according to sources, only two weeks of those were actually spent in negotiation. And therefore, uh, it was not... This was one of the things that tripped everybody up. And I talked about this back when it happened, that the Motorola acquisition just didn't make sense. It didn't follow any normal process. And now there's a process to close the deal and there's a walkaway fee, which is, I believe, 750 million euros. Um, back in, again, in the Motorola deal, Google was on the hook for something like $3 billion if, the, if they walked away. Again, highly unusual and, and, and suspicious. But I'm not here to talk about Motorola. I, I just put that out as a contrast to show that actually the, the Nokia deal seems to have gone through a normal process. It wasn't done as a, as a knee-jerk reaction to anything. It, was, it seems to have gone through a normal process, thoughtful process. And, and so we know that, that they had been thinking. They finally decided to do the deal. Um, a few odd things. One, one thing that was surprising to me was that Stephen Elop immediately, even before the announcement was made, uh, stepped down as CEO. He did not shake hands with Balmer uh, during to sort of seal the deal. Uh, so the deal was not made between Balmer and Elop. It was made between Balmer and the and the chairman of of Nokia, who is now I think acting CEO. So uh, this was put forward as to avoid any any conflict of interest, and I don't know what conflict there could be because. Elop supposedly is a is a fully uh, uh, entrusted officer of the company. I don't know what what they could have Im- Im- envisioned that that was wrong with 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 him being the the counterparty. Anyway, this will be something for others to evaluate. But um, let, let's see. You know, these are uh, we're, we're sort of looking at the nuts and bolts first, and then we'll try to step up and look at the big picture. The the um, so mechanically, it was. It seems to have gone through in a in a regular fashion. Um, the value. There's the next big question: Is it price wise something that uh, makes sense? Well, a couple of things that also one of the. Let's be clear: the acquisition was of Nokia devices, including. So internally, Nokia had several divisions: it had NSN, which is Nokia Siemens Networks which is network equipment. It had maps, which they called rebranded as here. They had uh, smart devices or just devices, and then they had mobile phones, which is the non-smartphone business. Um, So these are the major units that report in their quarterlies, and they actually give financial data individually on these divisions. So what happened is Microsoft is buying two of those four, the two being mobile phones, which makes non-smart, and devices, which makes smartphones, namely now really only Lumia. Um, And by the way, Lumia stopped being, uh, I mean, uh, Symbian stopped being sold about a quarter ago. Um, Well, maybe maybe it was uh, the first quarter was the last quarter where there aren't any volumes with Symbian. And that's also a, an interesting 
point that the discussion happened right about when that happened. Uh, the, the discussions for an acquisition happened when Symbian was, you know, fully, fully out of the pipeline. But it's not just because they want to buy Lumia. If they were to buy just Lumia, why did they buy this low-end phone business? My expectation when I thought about it a couple of years ago, when, when the deal with Microsoft uh, was first made, I thought that Nokia would split up for sure. I thought that would be the uh, the end game. Um, and I thought there would be exactly these four assets. And I thought, oh, and there was one more asset, which doesn't report, but it is out there, which is the patent portfolio or intellectual properties it may have. Um, and, and Microsoft did not buy that. Uh, but I thought that that IP portfolio was one thing that was worth something. And the smartphone business was something that was worth something. And that the phone, mobile phone, which is the non-smart business, would be also worth something. Um, and that the, the networking business would be worth individually something as well and here and so on. And these things could stand alone. And I thought if anybody really wanted to cherry pick or if Microsoft wanted to cherry pick, they should buy the IP and smart and leave the other things alone. They actually didn't buy the IP. They bought the smart, but they didn't buy. Oh, but they also bought the low-end phones business. So that's a bit of a surprise. Um, the the uh, why there there probably is a lot of stuff we can never find out uh, about who wanted what and why. Uh, maybe there were pricing uh, disputes. Uh, maybe they the 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 they realized that they would have to sell the um, maybe Nokia realized that they would have to sell the, 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 the low end business to someone at some point because they couldn't compete with it against Microsoft. I think it gets into these weird legal issues. Um, who has rights to what, who has a right to the brand name for how long can they license the names? Uh, if you're in competition with, with uh, you know, can, can Microsoft own the Nokia name going forward with the Lumia? And by the way, they are licensing Nokia's brand uh, as res- with respect to phones for a period of, of a few months. And uh, but in, in, in there are all these dirty details about whether Nokia could compete with with uh, with with this entity that Microsoft would suddenly own. Bottom line is it, it settled down into this this uh, not entirely logical deal and and that's what we have and there'll be a lot of speculation about what it what exactly um um it, it's going to it implies for for both parties but back to the pricing the the price that microsoft paid was about seven billion dollars which is about half of what the value of the company was prior prior to the to the um uh the deal um, and the interesting thing to me is that um, it looks like it, it, it's it's a bit strange because of the IP issue. The IP is a wild card because that could have been worth um, to either party, uh, you know, five to ten billion. We just we we know from the from the Motorola deal where the IP went with the company. Um, probably half of that value was assumed to be an IP. So <clears throat> that would have been six. Um, it turned out not to be worth very much, but 
but at the time that was the going price uh, for i for large large patent pools and and so it's it's unclear to me um of the remaining business, how much it is on an, on an individual basis. So what here is worth, I don't think here is worth all that much. They paid 8 billion for it. Um, but it's probably not worth more than two, um, one to two. Nokia Siemens networks is another funny thing because although it's a commodity business, it's actually profitable for Nokia and might be interesting to somebody later on. And it's still curious to me whether Nokia has, has a, the, the the rump Nokia that's left uh, will will keep that or, or or actually spin that off as well. And uh, if it if it if it spins that off, there isn't much left except maps. But then Nokia could be reborn into a service business, which is one of their uh, one of their options today. But let's let's see. So it's hard to think about it because it there there there's the 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 leftover Nokia, and then there's the devices business, which is not going to be a part of Microsoft. So let's dive into Microsoft for a bit, because unlike Google's acquisition of Motorola, Microsoft intends to fold this deeply within its core. It's not going to be arm's length. It's not going to be some division far away that they operate with their own brand and their own team that has no interaction with 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 the core. I think the 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 way the org chart is drawn today, it looks like Stephen Elop will head the devices group, and devices will report to to Balmer, and that will be uh, very much in the, on an equal footing, if not even slightly higher footing than some of the software groups that are under under Balmer today. Um, and of course, Balmer stepping aside complicates things, but. This was actually part of the reorg plan that it would be more functional. Although that sounds divisional, it is it is more likely to be sort of an engineering organization with the sales group. By the way, the sales team in Nokia is going to move under Turner, which is uh, COO. So there is that functional aspect: is that the devices team will be more engineering oriented, rather and and product product management rather than than being a real division with the profit and loss responsibility. If you take out the the, uh, the sales group, it's hard to really piece together where the costs are and where the profits are, which is what P&L really tells you. So uh, Microsoft is committing to a bunch of things, although it's very, very, very fuzzy. And um, so, the, so, so now we have to ask the deeper question about what, what's Microsoft... Uh, what does it look like today? Well, what is it? And th- this is maybe the uh, the next section we should talk about is is what does it mean uh, having having uh, looked at some some of the sort of what are the the data points to, so far. Let's think about the meaning. If we take a break, maybe we can do that next. Our second sponsor this week is Shutterstock.com. This is where you'll find over 20 million stock photos, vectors, illustrations, and video clips. Start a search at Shutterstock.com to find the perfect image for your website, ad, publication, or any other creative project. Every time you visit Shutterstock, you're going to find something new since they add 10,000 new images every day. Shutterstock.com also gives you a global image collection to find images from across the world to suit your project. Choose between image packs and monthly subscription packages. And if you need help at Shutterstock.com, you get an account rep who's dedicated to you. 
They're going to answer any questions you have, and they've also got 24-hour support during the week. So sign up for a free browse account by going to Shutterstock.com. There's no credit card needed, and when you find the images you like and decide to purchase, use the offer code DANSENTME8 and get 30% off of any package you put together over there at Shutterstock. Thanks to them. So let's 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 move on to data points. Let's let's really dig into this thing. Did I lose you? Sorry, I had the mute for a second. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no problem. Um, so yeah, so so when I began to think about this immediately, because I I I, I sort of sort of short circuited a lot of the the details, although you need to, you do need to go pay attention to those things. I, I wanted to get right away into the question of, which, which is something that's been in the back of my mind for a while, is why would Microsoft even want to be in hardware? We talked this a while ago, uh, about this a while ago, when I said that Microsoft's business model is untenable today. And the way to summarize that is that they used to get $40, $50 per CPU that sold, and in the mobile space, the 99% of, of, well, not 99, let's say 80 to 90% of, of phones sold, um, the software inside those phones is not licensed and there isn't a fee for that license. Um, and, and the problem for Microsoft is that when they began looking at mobile, and they did so very early in 1990s, they really wanted to be the Microsoft of mobile, which meant to be the same as the Microsoft of PC. And that's why they developed, they developed the Windows CE first, which became Pocket PC, which became Windows Mobile, which became Windows Phone. This was a licensable platform that was meant to be the Windows of mobile. And they wanted lots of OEMs to license it just like they had in the phone space. Uh, sorry, in the, in the PC space. And it didn't... At first, they were successful with Windows Mobile. Everyone took a license, except, notably, Nokia. But everyone took a license back in the mid-2000s, and there were loads and loads of Windows Mobile devices out there. But then the iPhone happened, and Microsoft was, was caught in, a, in an uncompetitive situation. But even worse for them was when Android happened, Android replicated a lot of the innovation in terms of user experience that the iPhone brought. So it was competitive on that basis, but it also gave itself away. And Microsoft could not compete on that basis. So that's where they are. They're commoditized. The very core business of selling a license agreement to an OEM is no longer a business model that works. And you can give it to somebody as 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 Google does, so it might still be possible to be a modular provider. But the but Google makes money in different ways, and Microsoft cannot convert itself to be a Google business today. And although it has been, it, that's a scale problem. And and the other problem, by the way, is that Google is not that profitable. To be honest, I mean, not as profitable as Microsoft is selling Windows in Office. Um, and therefore, even if they abandoned everything and became a Google or Google-like in their business model, they would have to contract dramatically to do so. Contracting people, contracting 
contract in terms of, of revenues and, and obviously in, in terms of bottom line. So Microsoft's approach is sort of a hybrid and saying we will also sell hardware. Now, the reason for that, and I think the evidence of this was in Surface, not the Nokia deal, but in Surface, they said, as far as tablets are concerned, which we feel are PCs anyway, they want to make the whole widget because they can capture a few hundred dollars in in gross margin uh, and and therefore make up for the loss of license revenues that that would would uh, would be uh, um, necessary so they actually put this in their in their in 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 the sales pitch in the in the uh, the document that they released uh, at the close of the deal or the announcement of the deal where they said here's our justification here's our reasoning then they said licensing our software gets us $10 gross margin per phone selling the whole phone gets us $40 a gross margin per phone and of course the the thing that's unsaid is that net margin which is after costs all costs is probably not going to be that much um uh in either case but um let's not quibble on that basis the, the, the what microsoft is doing with both surface and the nokia deal is saying that hardware or the whole widget is what people pay for and value and we want to be able to still capture at least $40 per device as we did with, with for the pc that is the economics that my, that Microsoft depends on. The only difference, though, is that they got the $40 on 300 million units of PCs sold every year, or about 300 to 400. I don't know where it's going to peak this year, but that is the volumes they were able to get because they were licensing to a lot of OEMs. Now the question is, to even stay even, they would have to sell at the $40 price point per unit um, in terms of margin, they would, they would also have to sell, as the PC declines, they'd have to make up the difference in tablets and, P and, 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 and phones. So that is the next piece of analysis that needs to be done. Can Microsoft backfill the decline in the PC business. Not, I'm not saying that they need to actually sell as many iPhone as iPhone does or as Android. Clearly, that's not a possible. But can it sell enough so that the erosion in its core business from people switching out of the PC as a primary computing device, can they make up the difference and stay level? Because that would imply at least that they don't contract as a business. There will be also implications with respect to the window, uh, the office business, where office is another forty, fifty dollars per seat per uh, uh, per user, maybe even per year. It's a very profitable business. Another difficult business to to be in in a device space because people aren't willing to pay that that kind of licensing on on a, on a phone or a tablet. So there, there'll have to be an interesting evolution of that business model to 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 keep this going, but office is is somewhat less vulnerable, I think. Um, 
than 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 Windows. So so that's where I think Windows uh, and Microsoft wants to be. This is a self preservation strategy, a move to preserve their 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 cash flows. What is what is what is more important, I think, fundamentally though, to make this switch happen is you have to change the culture of the business. You have to change what you consider your core to be. And that's that's what what I think the really difficult thing because they, they keep paying lip service to this and nobody pays attention. They keep saying it over and over again. We are going to be a device and services company. It used to be that we were a software company and let somebody else do devices. But now they brought devices in even before the acquisition. They said we are going to be a devices business. That requires, however, a huge shift in mentality because devices are hard. The, the software is hard, but devices are hard in a different way. They're not just hard to design. You have to take care of the customer and the consumer much more. Um, you have to have much more intuition about the consumer. The decision process is very different. The decision process for OEM licensing is the OEM decides to sell it or not. And there has to be some appeal in the product ultimately. But Microsoft did very well even when that appeal did not exist. When Vista was a failure, they still pretty much kept going just as they did before. And when Windows 7 and now Windows 8 may not be the greatest hits, they are still putting them out and doing very well. And that cannot happen if you have a product in the device model. If you have a product that's a flop, that's a dud, that doesn't work, that they found this out with the Xbox. The Xbox uh, Ring of Death cost a billion dollars. The Surface write-off costs them another seven, eight hundred million dollars. The Kin, actually, that was an acquisition of Danger, which cost five hundred million dollars plus probably a new f- few more hundreds of millions thrown in Uh-oh. in developing the kin before it launched and was withdrawn from the market within 40 days. Three major, very costly mistakes. Uh, arguably, Xbox had more than that one failure, but it there are these things are very painful, and there isn't just an opportunity lost. It is an actual impact on the bottom line with inventories with um with uh, loss of reputation etc so it's hard on that level it's also hard when you try to scale and you realize that you have to have logistics and value chains and supplier networks and all of these other things that you have to put together and that's why when i wrote about this some time ago the way i put the question is who will be this was on the news of the surface launch i said who will be Microsoft's Tim Cook. And that, and at the time, the meaning of Tim Cook was the guy who made the uh, operations happen at, 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 uh, at Apple. He was the man who took them into the multi-million unit market per quarter. And not... Um, uh, I didn't see... Uh, you know, some people interpreted that wrongly and saying, when I asked the question today, it sounds different. But the question is still, can Microsoft become 
a a um, blockbuster hardware company that is really necessary in order for them to get the volumes and preserve that top line because you're going to need tens and if not uh, hundreds of millions of units a year. And the operational aspect of it is one thing that you'd have to do, figure out the manufacturing, you'd have to do the logistics and sourcing. And Microsoft, I'm sure, thinks they can pull it off. But it isn't as easy, maybe, as, 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 as one might assume. The, um, the other thing is, culturally, it's different. Culturally, you have to have a different mentality. And as I mentioned, the focus and orientation around the, the consumer and the end user of the product it's completely different. The um, I'm 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 at a loss of how to define the difference because it's 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 not something that um, you can make a checklist for, but it is there is this question about dedication to integrated solutions. We saw oh, I didn't even mention the Zoom for example, which was another debacle. But they tried hard with the Zoom to be focused on design, to be focused on on differentiation, to to create new experiences, um, and provide it as a service. But there you see little missteps or big missteps, um, things like creating points instead of allowing people to buy with real money, uh, things like uh, it's not just the color choice, but the design issues and and the the um, the timing of the launches and whether you're hitting the right window and whether you're, you're leading or following and so on. So it's, it's very hard. I, um, I think that, that one of the aspects I think they're trying to make sure that that gets solved with is that they are trying to become functional as well as, as, uh, as, as Apple is functional as an organization and that's part of the big reorg. So in a way, the reorg and the Nokia deal and maybe the Balmer departure are all part of the same massive change that has to happen. So when I, when I, when I concluded it, and to make it a little bit punchy, I, I talked about this, this question about what are the priorities of the new organization and whether the priorities of the new organization, of uh, the new Microsoft, will really depend strongly on the priorities of Nokia, which were, even before ELOP, were focused on the whole experience. They may not have succeeded in delivering that, but they were doing it for some time. They didn't deliver during 2007, 8, and 9 when, when, Microsoft, when, when iPhone disrupted but they were pretty good at delivering the whole widget prior to then. And arguably, that, in fact, is why they were disruptive in the first place, which Nokia was in the late 90s. They came out of nowhere and became number one in the phone space, having to overtake incumbents such as Motorola, who invented the cellular phone, such as Ericsson, who had an extremely strong foundation in, in networks and telephony in general. And Nokia came out of nowhere. They were not a telecom player. And, and so they did so because they had a great user experience. The early Nokia phones were a joy to use relative to their competitors. There were Features were easily discovered. There were very few key, key clicks you needed to do certain things, especially text messaging. So one anecdote is that when the Nokia phones that allowed 
simple text messaging. Sorry about that. A little bit of a alert going on back there. Um, so when when Nokia had these these um, very simple to use phones with with uh, text messaging within three key clicks, for example, um, text messaging took off. I mean, literally, operators were inundated with 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 new revenues from these phones because people were texting and this was mostly in Europe this is what we're talking 99 2000 2001 way before it was even conceivable in the US to have interoperability with text messages and and so the the text messaging revolution was also enabled by this device that made it easy and so operators just would order millions of Nokia phones because they were you know I was reading how in the UK, uh, at that, around that time, people didn't ask each other what phone you had. They would ask each other what model number of Nokia you had, whether you had a 333 three, three or, 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 you know, a 4 or 5, whatever. So the, the idea was that it, they became dominant on the basis of a user experience on great design, truly attractive products. Much, much of it actually would sound like what Apple did. And logistically, too, that was another thing that's behind the scenes is they were able to beat Ericsson, for example, by ordering up huge, huge supplies of certain components. Uh, for example, when, when, when color screens came available, Nokia wasn't the first, but when they finally did get into the color screen models, they bought so many of the screens that competitors just didn't even have any to be uh, to 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 range, and and so that that cornering of the market was partly because of their prowess in logistics, and they were rated for many years as the most logistically sophisticated company in the world. And Apple was up there because of Tim Cook um, with the iPod era, but they were not as high in that ranking as as Nokia was. And they also beat Motorola on the same basis. Uh, they were sourcing components for certain uh, radio frequency chips and so on that caught uh, Motorola without supply. So a lot of the things that Nokia did made them successful. That is the sort of mentality you focus on. And, and the other thing is that they had a very good knack for markets because they understood um, European markets, first of all, and they were European-based. And so they would have a portfolio that appealed broadly in Europe, but actually it turned out that that aesthetic, that taste, that that um, design language resonated globally and outside the United States, actually. It didn't work in the U.S., but they were extremely successful in many parts of the world, in emerging markets, in the Middle East, in Africa, in 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 uh, India, in China, and there was a time when when Nokia had seventy percent market share in India, seventy percent, um, and that, except for Japan and the United States, which had their own sort of Galapagos problems, um, Nokia was dominant, and that's I think part of the, the you know, Microsoft knows this, and that's what attracted them to Nokia is they want to have that magic. Is how do you do that? How did you make uh, a business grow to, to, to span 800 operators, to span every country in the world? There was no country in the world that didn't sell a Nokia. 
even the most uh, backward and, and poor and, and the most uh, 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 repressive regime was selling Nokia phones. And so that's, that's again, the type of magic that Microsoft was lacking because although they sold Windows everywhere, th- when you looked at their hardware products, they were barely getting out of the door in the United States. They weren't able to scale globally. They had all kinds of issues with the quality and so on. And so this is why I'm sort of asking the priorities that got Nokia to that level. First, do they still exist? That's hard to know. But secondly, is that really what Microsoft wants to become? And one thing, by the way, that's interesting about the debate on, on Microsoft was that Microsoft, some would some would suggest that should flee up market. They should just abandon their consumer. All these failures in consumers, uh, with consumers, with with uh, devices in in that space, they should just stop it, stop wasting shareholder money on this stuff, go into enterprise, become a the you know an Oracle slash IBM slash SAP or what have you. And this is to, and to, to Microsoft's credit that it would actually have been the easy way to go. Uh, they could have spun off some of this low end stuff, let you know, milk windows as long as it gets, but really the, that's their core business is enterprise. Consumer is messy. Consumers is getting commoditized anyway. It's very, very crowded, but to their credit, they actually doubled down on what is really the hardest business today. And I think they know intrinsically, they know the innovators dilemma. They know that if they abandon that market, that those guys who are there now, namely Apple and Google We'll chase them up in the enterprise. The consumerization is going to happen. And and pretty soon, they'll have to flee yet again further up, and they'll shrink in doing so, and they'll be disrupted from the low end because the low end today is the consumer. And so they decided to stay in the low end, even though it's ugly and hard. The other thing... I would say that's valuable to the, to this approach is that they realize that by owning this asset, they can actually create new categories. The creation of new categories is extremely hard. We see today, um, just yesterday, with 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 uh, with gear coming from uh, um, from Samsung, which is a watch. Um, how hard it is to create a product that actually establishes that category. Uh, it's, it's not the first. Um, nor will it be the last, and I don't think what will become will, will become the wearables market is really defined by that product. Nor do I think it'll be de- defined by the the Google Glass. But you can see how companies like Google and Samsung, and obviously Apple, can, can create these categories. Whereas when Microsoft has tried with the Kin, which was sort of not quite a category, but it was a hybrid product. They they failed. And by the way, Xbox doesn't count because they didn't create that. Xbox was nothing more than a sustaining improvement to the games business along the lines of Sony and Nintendo. And before them, many, many others who came and are now gone. Um, so my point is that the value of Nokia's priority system is not just operations, logistics, brand skills to make those things which are actually resources, but also the ability, the mindset to create new things. Nokia, by the way, has a great accessories business. And from within that, 
it's possible to incubate all these wearables. The accessories business um, nominally is headsets and batteries, but you could make smart headphones, you could make um, uh, wearables of all kinds that are act as a company or uh, the companion products to the smartphones, but later on they just get smarter and smarter and maybe become actually the hub. And that would only be possible having the team working through that, that problem. So in theory, in theory, that's what, what Microsoft is getting. And in, if they become good at those things, maybe we can trace, trace the, um, the cause back to Nokia. But it's a very long shot. A lot of these things, once you buy them, they actually crumble in your hands. They, they become um, corroded. They become uh, useless. So I think that's the, that's the danger. And perhaps even by now, much of the magic of Nokia is gone already through attrition, through the fact that a lot of bright people left already, that there were so many layoffs and the company was in distress. And distress in itself has a huge cost. So I wish, you know, I really hope that, that Microsoft does have uh, this ability to graft the DNA onto its own, that it will be able to change its stripes. But I'm not, you know, the odds are against it. And I, I, I don't even know if they are quite aware of how hard that is. So maybe that's a good point to pause. And then maybe next segment, we'll talk about Nokia and what it, what, what it is now. This episode of The Critical Path is also brought to you by Shopify, a hosted e-commerce solution that allows you to set up and run your own online store in minutes. Pick a template, add products, pick a payment processor from PayPal to Stripe to Authorize.net, and ship your stuff with just a few clicks. With Shopify, it's easy to sell online. There's no software to download, host, upgrade, or maintain. You can pick from over 100 professionally designed e-commerce templates or create your own with full control over the HTML and CSS. There are no bandwidth limits and no need to worry about scaling when your store becomes popular. Every Shopify store is also level one PCI DSS compliant and totally secure. Shopify has just announced their Shopify POS. It's an iPad application that lets you sell your Shopify store's products in a physical retail setting. It's quick and easy. Browse your store's catalog, pick a customer's products, swipe their credit card and print their receipt or send it through email. You can automatically sync products and orders and there's only one dashboard to manage for all of your retail and online stores. Just one. Get Shopify POS hardware, which includes a credit card reader, cash drawer, iPad stand, and receipt printer. Order online and the shipping's free. So go visit shopify.com slash 5x5 and you will get three months free on this thing. Check them out today. All you need is something to sell with Shopify. Thanks to them. So as, as we head into the home stretch on this episode of the show, something that I, I wanted to throw at you relative to that, that, uh, mm-hmm. that set of points that you just went over there, um, you know, we had the big surface write down. Microsoft as a company is definitely in a phase of transformation. Um, and the acquisition of Nokia 
in addition to the the reorg that was announced, Balmer leaving, and all of that, uh, makes me wonder if there if there really finally is that big opening to make those kinds of changes that that we talked about in the last episode of, of the Critical Path. Um, things that the board may not have let co- let go through, that things were just too successful and going too well for too long. Um, you know, do do you see this as an opportunity? for whether it's the Nokia influence or just the influence of Nokia coming aboard, making them rethink their tablet plans. You know what? Surface didn't work. We're going to do something called X glass. We're going to, you know, know. Nokia, Nokia has in its pipeline, um, Lumia styled surface tablet or surface, um, windows, windows, uh, uh, eight tablet. And, it would make sense to me that that they actually range Nokia's design and and abandon their own internal effort. Um, I think Nokia's may have a few de- a few design hues, uh, clues and 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 design elements which are better, but also it may have some better technology in terms of 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 um, Maybe batteries or or other things. Though again, I'm I'm not in any way uh, aware of any of that, and and, and I would have. Uh, my assumption is actually that they wouldn't, but they could. Um, and so th- that's one example where they they could already use this this uh, this portfolio. Um, but the, the thing I, I'm 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 still struggling with is that this is a multivariate problem. There are many moving parts. This, the, 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 as far as Microsoft, let's not forget that th- this resignation is what thro- throws me. Balmer resigned right before the announcement of the deal. He resigned, even though he probably negotiated that deal, would have been very much a part of it. And I don't think he's resigned his resignation is a function of the deal actually happening. If he was against the deal, he would have resigned much, much, much earlier. And as the deal maybe was being pushed through, I think he wanted the deal to happen. Maybe then he actually is afraid that he's not the right leader for this thing. He just had, has had second thoughts about the execution uh-huh. of the new organization that whether he's the right leader and culturally speaking, like I said, we have to see a transition happen. Fundamentally, the DNA is being completely rewritten here. And the chances are very low it's going to succeed. And maybe he thought, I may not help this. I may actually be the wrong guy to, to even lead the transition. Because what happens, let's say for the next few months, the deal goes through the process of being approved by regulators. It finally closes in a few months. And then there's an integration period. And the integration period is when you have teams descend on both campuses and then they decide what stays and what doesn't. And then there's actually the the reorg that happens in terms of who runs what, what's left. And although they have plans for all of that, it's another thing to execute the plan. So maybe he thought to himself, you know, I'm going to be distracted for the next year 
doing just this deal, making it happen, making it realized. And maybe again, I'm not the right guy for this. He's very much a hands-on guy, but uh, but this requires a special skill. And maybe at the end, once you're done, it would have been a completely different business than what he's used to running. And although he wanted to change, he wanted it to change, he wouldn't be the right guy to do it. So, and finally, there's the third option that he was pushed and that actually that somebody realized that all of this, all of these things I've been saying, but they were, but 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 Balmer was not the one who was thinking them. So I, I think that that. But you have to understand that this is an integrated decision. The, who runs it? The Nokia part of it and the reorg. They're all three things are interconnected. Um, while they were negotiating the deal with Microsoft uh, with Nokia, the reorg plan was being built. You can't see. You, I can't imagine that those two things were, were, were some people who are, I'm sure there were people working on the details of each, maybe weren't privy to what was going on. The reorg may have been a bit more public as a discussion topic within the company. And because of financial reasons, the Nokia deal would have been extremely private. It would have been very few people who knew about it. Um, any leak in that respect could cause a huge huge effect in the market so that's bound by a lot of laws you can't you can't leak that info even if you want to um so so the question though is who knew what and when did was this um, an executive uh, obviously the board knew balmer knew some of his direct reports knew they were aware of both plans uh but i don't think all the direct reports knew and and that makes it very complicated Politically, the the um, the third component is, um, as I mentioned, number one was was the reorg, two is the Nokia acquisition, and three is the who's going to run it. And I mentioned a little bit about both, and and this is where when you vary one thing and you say, well, let's let's run hypothesis A over. On, on what happened with the Nokia deal, well, then you have to adjust your hypotheses for the other two, right? So that's what I mean about being um, too many moving parts. Uh, you can't really figure it out by by controlling one and not the other. So I'm just going to pause now and say that this is going to require a lot more thought, and maybe someday a book will be written about it. Um, you're, you're saying it can't all just be condensed into one news story or one podcast. <laughs> I'm shocked. Right. I'm shocked. What can I say? All I can do, all I can do is just ask a lot of questions now. Um, but the other thing I want to, I want to talk about is a little bit about Nokia, because actually when I got called that morning, most of the people wanted to know what is it, what's going to happen to Nokia? I mean, as, as, a, as an institution, and uh, I said, well, I had written off Nokia as an institution long ago. I thought two years ago it was over. So this is in many ways an anticlimax. To me, the most exciting moment was when the deal was made back in 2011. I wrote five blog posts that day. It has still, I think, was the most traffic I ever had in one day on my blog. So the point, though, is that now it's actually time to, to say, finally, we have, we have closure, we knew that we knew we knew the patient was dying, 
And now we actually have this cathartic moment when it, it well, didn't quite die, but it got this major operation and like half its limbs and half its organs are gone. But now it's something that's left. We have to think what it can become. And the injury, that's where it, it also still is like, well, it's not purely cathartic because like somehow there's still some baggage left over. Um, the, the, this, these are not truly independent businesses. The here business is location business is dependent a lot on having distribution through Windows uh, phones, but, and through Bing actually even. But now that license continues, but here is now free to actually push hard on the other platforms. Although it's available and I'm told it runs on iOS and others. I used it, by the way, this summer when we were traveling because um, unlike an iOS, you can preload maps. I think it's coming in the next version of, of, of iOS 7. But in, in the summer, we, we could take a Nokia Lumia phone, load up half of Europe into it, and then we could drive, drive, drive in and, and, and get directions without having to uh, roam uh, and pay the roaming charges. So that was a nice benefit. Um, as far as experience, it wasn't great. But again, when you have nothing, no, you know, relatively zero options, uh, other options, then um, it was good enough. Um, the other thing is uh, here. So, so here's this thing. And one, one speculation I had on, on, on that is, you know, we talked about maps before. Maps are an expensive thing to run. They cost about a billion dollars a year. Could be even a lot more, one to two, depending on how much of it is maintenance and how, how much is, of it is acquiring new data. Um, when it was acquired, it cost $8 billion for Nokia. Nokia paid more for here than its device business is worth today. And by the way, not only did Google pay more for Motorola's business, but Microsoft paid more for Skype than it paid for Nokia's devices. That just shows how far things have gone there. But still, the here business... Everyone's been talking about iOS 7 or iOS um, 6 maps, which were a disappointment to many. Thought of it as a relative disappointment because of, of Google Maps being better. But, let's, but my point is that Google Maps, when it launched, was far worse than what Nokia acquired back in 2007, which was when it bought uh, the, the Maps business. Uh, Navtech. So things can change, and a, a six-year period of investment allows Nokia's maps to be very good. Um, six years of investment allowed Google Maps to be very good, and iOS is just starting. They have one year in, and I'd say they're pretty good. Not as good as they need to be, but give them another five years, and they'll be there. And those five years can't be speeded up much, even if you throw a lot of money at it. Some would argue that maybe uh, they should buy Navtech's old old business. I don't know about that. I think Nokia, uh, I think Apple has been organ- organically building up its its competency there. They're not shy about acquisitions, but I'm not sure that this makes sense to them. Um, Naftec, by the way, is not based in Finland, as far as I know. It, um, the teams are still mostly in the U.S. 
uh, and I think some in Germany. But um, so that's that's here. That's left. That's 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 a that's an interesting business. Then the, the Siemens Networks is interesting because um, that was a joint venture. Then 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 now Nokia decided to buy it completely, but it might still make sense on its own, separate from Nokia as a whole. The, the logic, by the way, this is again stepping back in the in the in the memory machine, and if you think of of the history of Nokia, why did they why did they have a networking business altogether? It was because Ericsson had a networking business. It was because Motorola had a networking business, and there were other networking players. For example, in France, Alcatel, which also made phones. And the logic in the '90s was that you needed a device or terminal business, as they liked to call it back then. Terminals and networks were symbiotic, so you had a great networking business. And then you would sell, you'd sell networking equipment, and then you go to the operator who was the same customer. Say, here are some phones to go with that. And so there was synergy, not necessarily because there was interoperability, but you could you could take advantage of the channel. You could take advantage of the fact that you were selling the same people. And it's like selling PCs. HP goes and sells a PC, and then says, "How would you like some services with that?" Um, and that was IBM's business as well. Here's a mainframe. How would you like some services with that? And that's the 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 logic of sales, the logic of channels. And so for a long, long time, device makers, the big ones anyway, um, aspired to also be in the in in the networking business or vice versa. Ericsson got rid of the device business and they split up. It looked like Nokia was going to do the same because the the device business turned out to be more profitable and the networking business was being disrupted more rapidly, mainly from China. You had Huawei, who is now, by the way, a device maker, but Huawei got its start selling network equipment. And Huawei is now one of the contenders for disrupting the phone space as well. But again, they copied directly the model of 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 the Europeans and Americans. And so now we have back to this back to the future here because we have the networking division that no longer has any synergy because the device group is suddenly out of there. And it's a commodity business, but it's weirdly profitable. Somehow it got its wind back, I think because they cut enough costs out of it then it it it, it started to break even. It was beginning to contribute, whereas the device business was losing money for Nokia. So it's interesting that they have a cash cow now, and they got rid of the device business, and there are no synergies at all implicit in that. Whether they keep it or not, I don't know. It all depends on what they want to be when they grow up now. And that's the thing about there's also the IP. There's the third piece on the stool, the third leg of the stool that's left. is Maps, which is a service. IP, which is a licensing model, and then this old, stodgy network equipment business. Very, very a cash cow, a service, and an, and, and, and a sort of a, uh, an asset that has depreciation, and, but yet can still be used for, for some revenue. I don't know. This is a bit of a puzzler, to be honest, because well, if you had these ingredients... And I gave you these on the on a on the kitchen table. What could you make with them? 
And, you know, you used to have another ingredient, the phone business, but now that's gone. Kind of makes sense when you had the phones in the middle, all these other things around it made sense. It made sense to have IP because you'd be, those are, the IP was generated from the phones. You made sense to have service. You would attach service to the, to the devices and it would make the devices more valuable and you would have better margins on them. And then you have the network equipment, which again was a sales channel thing. And now that core in the middle is gone, and you've got these these satellite businesses that 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 don't have that much in common with each other, except that they used to go through the middle, which is gone. So that's a bit of a puzzle. I, th- I you know, my naive and initial instinct would be to say that maybe this th- these should still be sold off. Some of them, at least, they could generate a lot of cash. By selling off the, um, and they would recapitalize. I mean, they've capitalized themselves already very well with $7 billion from, from, from Microsoft. So there's suddenly $7 billion going to be in the, in the bank. That gives them a nice cushion, and the other businesses may also be somewhat sustainable. Obviously, the IP doesn't cost anything, so it's whatever it generates is pure profit. The, the, Networking business is probably not a huge generator, generator but it does, doesn't lose money. And then the, the Maps has been losing money, but maybe they can get it back up to profitability if they suddenly have more sales into new channels that they were kept away from because of their focus on Windows. So it, it, seems, like, it seems like these three pieces are nice in and of themselves. Um, but it isn't synergistic. They don't make that much sense together. So I really wonder, maybe the way they should treat it is that $7 billion with these cash cows should be used to build something new. And uh, what's, what's, what's on the horizon? Well, two things. One, I think there's, there's obviously, like I said, wearables is, is going to be as big a market as, as, as phones um, eventually. Wearables is something they can, they can actually, if they don't, even think of them as competing products, but even even if they do think of them as competing products, in the few years that that no compete clause that exists today between Nokia and, and Microsoft will go away, so they could possibly actually try to disrupt the market. Um, so wearables is one, and services is, is another, which is not to be so much in the hardware anymore, but rather to to take the leverage of here and expand that into new services, service models. Although they've been trying that for many years. Large companies aren't very good today at creating new services, except for Google. And arguably, even they haven't really had that many home runs. Um, but th- there's this question of, can you, you incubate something with this money and the, the talent? They could, for example, let's say, buy Angry Birds. Um, they could bring them in and sort of create a new competency around apps and services. A lot could be done. I still, I'm pretty, uh, I think I, if you step back far enough, you would think that this is a good move for Nokia because it, it actually means that they can be reborn into something new. And then if they don't give up, then uh, that spirit that they had in the first place when they came into the phone space that spirit they had was coming from a base of despair and tragedy. The previous CEO, before they got into phone space, actually committed suicide because Nokia was in such a bad state in the early 90s. It, had, it was a conglomerate. 
It was doing a bunch of things that were unrelated, unsynergistic, as we talked about just now. Rubber boots, cables. They owned a business that was making hunting firearms. They had a business that was making televisions. They had a business that was in paper. None of those made sense in in the same as a synergy. It was just an old-fashioned 70s-style conglomerate. Went out of fashion in the United States in the 90s. Uh, still exists in, in Korea, as we know, in the form of Samsung, but pretty much has become obsolete ev- everywhere else. Um, and, and yet, they, they, they um, pulled themselves together, made a huge bet on, on telecom, and stormed that market and, and won. And now, in a way, when I, when I talk to people about what it takes for a large company to be disruptive, the first thing I usually say is, have you suffered enough? Have you really faced the existential crisis? Are you, are you staring into the abyss? Usually, when, when you have your back, your back against the wall, there's nowhere else to go but to fight forward. And that's the question in terms of what Nokia was facing. Uh, they, my, uh, by the way, um, Motorola went through that, right? They, they contracted and almost collapsed. And then they made a big, big bet on Android, a big bet on, on and negotiated very successfully w- to get themselves acquired. They didn't change the world with their, you know, they're not the focus of, of innovation now. But uh, in that sense, I also felt that Nokia would never be fully acquired in the sense of kind of a white knight coming in and rescuing them. And so they'd have to self-rescue. They'd have to self either completely implode or rebuild themselves. And I think, you know, if I were to make a judgment call on what, what I've just seen, I'd say this is actually a very interesting time for Nokia. It is possible now for them to rebuild. It's a great opportunity actually. And, uh, at the same time, I, I'm less positive from Microsoft's point of view because although I think they're doing the right thing, I think what they're the path ahead of them is extremely, extremely hard, and it's it's too rigid in a way. They almost have to go in one direction. It's as if they set a goal for themselves that's extremely difficult to attain, like climbing Mount Everest, and they don't have any oxygen, they don't have any boots, they don't have anything. But they have to go to the top of Mount Everest. There's no other option. In the case of Nokia, it's like, yes, they have no boots, they have no oxygen, but they don't have to climb Mount Everest. They can go anywhere they want. And so maybe they'll end up on a new journey somewhere which is really interesting and exciting. Now, some would say that that's worth nothing, that in fact climbing Mount Everest is the only worthy goal. And that's why Microsoft's doing it in the first place, because it is a worthy goal. But again, if you fail, all is lost. And Nokia may actually have the, the benefit of a startup now, of being able to sort of find its way forward. It's not a, it's not happy. It's not a happy ending. It's a, it's a hopeful ending. But it is still the, um, they have now the innovator's dilemma essentially playing out. They've, they've now, they're now finally no longer the incumbent. So, hey, I think we've, we've done enough to 
tortured yeah. this subject. Tortured the subject. Not at all. Hey, I'll, uh, I, I also would be remiss if I didn't throw in, I'm putting a link here in the uh, show notes to a piece that Ben Thompson posted over at Stratechery. Uh, ben Thompson, your most recent guest on High Density, High Density Episode 3, we mentioned on the last episode of The Critical Path, is now up and out there for consumption. Uh, I have a link to that in the show notes as well, as, uh, in addition to the uh, the various articles that you've written and links to the last couple episodes of The Critical Path, which if perhaps you're listening to this in the specials feed and you've never heard The Critical Path before, this is a very good taste test for what this show is and how uh, densely packed it is with analytical insight and uh, and interesting uh, anecdotes and so on. Uh, so, Horace, everybody can follow you on Twitter by by going to at Asimco, that's A-S-Y-M-C-O, and find all your writing at asimco.com. Uh, if people want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Moises Chu, that's M-O-I-S-E-S-C-H-I-U and find all of my writing online at arthousecowboy.com. Thanks again to this week's sponsors uh, who you can find in the show notes to this episode of the show at 5x5.tv slash critical path slash 95. We're closing in on episode 100. And uh, I don't I, I don't even know if we're going to try to do anything special other than just uh, just do another another solid show. Uh, but uh, the the 100-episode mark is something that I look forward to. It's it's something every show I'm, Every show should feel like the 100th show. See, there we go. There we go. All right. Well, uh, thanks again, Horace, and, uh, and I guess we'll, uh, we'll be back with you next week. Yep. And actually, I should mention, uh, if, if I've still got you on the hook to talk about uh, Nintendo and some of that kind of stuff on, on my other show, Screen Time, uh, I think uh, I think my pal Guy English has uh, has a great deal to to say on the subject. And sure, I'd love to. Um, I actually, I, I just you know, I'm actually sitting on a mountain of data. I, I've got an update on on the um, Nintendo financials and also comparables from as best as we can get the Sony and the Microsoft numbers, so we can kind of relook reopen the the hood on on. On the uh, games business, I, I, my friend and collaborator, um, um, just blanked out his name just a minute. Uh, Schmidt, uh, Dirk Schmidt, he, um, he, 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 he just had a baby, and and uh, he can't write uh, what he, what he's, uh, what he's, what it, you know. Uh, uh, the, I asked him, could you do a story on Nintendo, given that you've you've kept the data up and so on. He, he's 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 he can't he's hasn't got the cycle so um and i promised i would i would do something and so anyway that that's one thing that's on the on the uh on the burners and uh there's a lot of stuff going to happen in the la- next few weeks I've, the billion mark has been crossed by 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 android uh the um pc numbers are in um we need to do a show and I need to at least write about what the implications of that are. Um, the, so looking at Microsoft through the, through the, uh, the PC numbers, through the tablet numbers, through the, through the, um, all the, all the data from, 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 uh, the latest from, from, uh, from Google. And of course the big, the big drop that's going to happen from, from Apple, uh, next few few days actually uh, it's it's already the fifth now so i guess it's next week right we're gonna see the the big uh the big iphone event yeah 
Yeah, I, so. I think uh, I think there will be a lot to talk about next week, and uh, and not to uh, not to you know uh, pull people away from this show, but uh, but I think we'll have we'll have enough games business stuff to talk about on this show, and continue on to the other one. Uh, uh, you know, in, in addition to covering all of the Apple event stuff, whatever's happening next week, I, th- I think it's interesting that it's happening in Town Hall. Um, because it's not that often that they do things in town hall uh, anymore. Um, but you know, it, it could be it could be me looking for something that isn't there. But uh, I always hope that they have something held back that everybody hasn't been talking about for eight weeks. Who knows? I mean, you know, it, I'm I'm not I'm not a particularly um, um, impressionable by these things, but it, or or impressed by these things, but. But it it is, uh, it to me the interesting thing is that the China, the China uh, second event. So this is a this is something that's never happened before, having a two launches in, in the same day, or or, or or I don't know what to call it even. What do you call you know something delayed delayed? Uh, 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 if it's a parallel, it's the same thing. Why would you do the same thing nine hours later? Um, in Chinese or, or or what have you. I think there has to be a different substance to the second event. There has to be... And if you have two events, then why stage one in the biggest venue? Maybe it makes sense to keep it more intimate and then have a... You know, you have, you have all kinds of issues going on here. And um, the, the launch in China might... I mean, the event in China might be might be replaying the same story as, as the US one, but I said that that, that makes little sense. But uh, maybe if it's for 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 the Chinese audience, maybe it's going to be about Chinese only phones, Chinese market phones. Uh, maybe deals in China. That's what everyone is expecting. Actually, somehow that there will be um, China Mobile announced well, there. It's, it's been discussed that one of the big issues that has always faced the iPhone. Uh, in terms of it penetrating into mainland China, are that there are hardware restrictions that, it, I mean, it it's not like they they can just uh, necessarily disable a particular thing. If the hardware is there, it still conflicts with with Chinese um, uh, regulations when it comes to what people yeah, are allowed no, to have is, on their phones and everything. Yeah, there is a variant, but I think there has to be even a more dedicated variant for China right. Mobile specifically. Is right. I think there are some network issues there. But anyway, that's what, that. That usually is not a deal killer. I think they, they've had to settle on on another a bunch of other items on on their agenda for that to happen. Um, I, the weird thing and the, the the funny thing is that what's happening this year. I can't believe we're still talking, but the five C, the five C. <laughs> hey, it's a special. Five, that's that's what yeah. it is. The five C and S. Okay, this is the big portfolio expansion that I've been talking about as something that a mystery why it hasn't happened at, at Apple for such a long time. And the weird thing to me is actually the things of China mobile expanding to the 5C in the sort of a really a, 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 a product designed to be mid-range, not just a leftover product positioned as a mid-range product. This idea of willfully designing it so that it fits in that slot. These were things we're talking exactly a year ago. I was hopeful, hoping that that would happen at the five launch, and it didn't happen. And the stock tanked, and everybody p- 
panicked and said it's over. The funny thing, the way I, it feels to me is like, it's like they're a year late on something that should have happened last year, even, even earlier, but somehow it's almost as if it's a timing issue. Both of these things are not rocket science, right? Doing a mid-range phone and launching with a new carrier. But there was this stall that happened for almost a year that, you know, you would connect the dots and say that's where they need to be. And they, they didn't get there. And, and, and as a result, the narrative around Apple became that it's all over. I saw it as, hmm, that's kind of odd that they slowed down. And also they had all this, like, it's almost like a pileup happened in the fourth quarter last year where all the products were put on the table at the same time, which is, again, I argued, and I remember one of my pieces was, does S stand for spring? Will the next S product, the 5S, come out in, in the spring? Because this makes no sense. A lot of things didn't make sense. You, you, you have no product launches for a whole year. You have a, a stall in terms of distribution and new deals cut, no new operators coming on stream, and you don't have a broad portfolio. In fact, these were also my questions to Tim Cook, which I posted back in, in, back, uh, in, in uh, early summer, right? So the, these are... Suddenly, all these things that have been expected for years are suddenly happening, if they are happening. And um, and the, now the narrative has to change. Hopefully, it will change. Maybe the narrative will be, it's too little, too late, it's whatever. But um, And there's still the opportunity of new categories. Wearables, TV, those are still the same things. And we've been talking about these things for a while. What is the, what is the real future of Siri? Siri isn't about just voice activation. It's about uh, 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 eyes-free interfaces. It's about also in-car interfaces. It's about wearable interfaces. That's really the future of Siri. So enabling voice voice uh, 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 concierge as a helper, as a job to be done, that doesn't depend on the large screen. In fact, the screen is, is, it gets in the way. It depends on, on, on having a microphone only. So you can see where that goes. But we were talking about this two years ago when Siri launched. That was what I was thinking. And suddenly we might see wearables, maybe not this year, maybe next year. But that's the funny thing. If you, if you read the industry um, backstories, like even Lashinsky's book, it talks about how long it takes to incubate stuff. There's a, there's the, that's the big difference between journalists and pundits and comments made by, by observers and those who actually do this stuff. The guys who do this stuff know that it takes a long time. And what you see happening today was being worked on three, four years ago. And if you, if, 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 if you, you don't see it today, see next year, it's because they were working on it back in 2010. So... I, you know, that's the, the, the lag and, the, and the, the managing of expectations between the engineering world and the 24-hour news cycle world. That's really hard. And so people get the, the, the news cycle causes perception to just go completely off the, off the scale because it, it, they're not taking into account what's happening in a different clock cycle. So... Anyway. Interesting. Well, to, to put a bow on this and uh, bring it back around to Nokia, um, you know, what you just said, it makes me wonder 
what alternate plans might have been cooking for the last three or four years on the Microsoft and Nokia side of things. But hey, we're, we're going to have to wait and see. There's no yep, way for us yep. to know right now. This has been a very special episode of The Critical Path. Uh, again, you can find show notes 5by5.tv slash critical path slash 95. Thanks for listening. Thanks again, Horace. Thank you.